Dialog, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on uh, Channel Africa. Uh, This is uh, African Dialogue that you're listening to. We come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Thank you for joining us as we look at uh, issues of Africa and look at them from an African perspective. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And that's if you're listening to us on our shortwave service. We're on channel 802 on DSTV. That's the audio bouquet. You can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at the big conversation, which is very relevant right now, citing what's happening in Zimbabwe with the power struggle with uh, uh, Robert Mugabe still insisting to retain his position as the president of the country there and we're seeing a lot of conflict there and we also saw early this year where we saw that removal of the Gambian leader Yame from his position of power the African continent is facing a challenge of its leaders holding on to power and refusing to let go even when their presidential terms have elapsed South African leaders have however literally been chased Southern Af- some African leaders, not South African, but some uh, some African leaders have literally been chased out of office either via armed conflict or by some amount of diplomatic pressure. West Africa seems to be leading when it comes to its leaders being pushed out of office. Let me look at some of the notable uh, examples. We know uh, Malays uh, Zanawi of Ethiopia stayed in 21 power, uh, 21 years in power. Muammar Gaddafi of Libya, 42 years in power. Omar Bongo of Gabon. Born for 42 years in power, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and now, recently, we know of the attempt by the Zimbabwean people to oust Robert Mugabe, who has been prisoned for 37 years in power. Well, joining us on the line right now, uh, we have uh, Professor Kwandi Wei Kondo joining us on the line. He's a lecturer of politics and international relations uh, at the University of uh, Johannesburg. Johannesburg. Professor Kondra, thank you for giving us your time. Thank you. Now, let's look at just this trend itself. I mean, uh, earlier this year, we saw Gambia's Yaya Jame, who actually stepped down after a huge, uh, uh, huge pressure uh, from his region and handing power to Adama Barrow, uh, who was the winner of the elections in the country earlier in the year. And uh, we know right now we're seeing this uh, uh, situation in uh, Zimbabwe, where Robert Mugabe has been actually now forced by his military and also his ZANU-PF party uh, to step down after so many years being in power as I highlighted that he's been a president for 37 years. In terms of this particular trend, uh, what do you think we're seeing right now in contemporary Africa where these uh, uh, long-standing leaders uh, are being challenged in terms of their presidential terms? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's entirely correct to say this is just an African problem. Mm. Look at East Asia, see how 
people, how long people stay in power. Sure. Except that we we have not had notable incidents of popular unrest and protest against those leaders. Uh, I think I think what we see, we must actually look at it in the global context. What is happening globally? We are witnessing what I call a failure of politics. What do I mean by a failure of politics? It's, it's a failure of politics occurs when the constitution of authority by popular will and the expression of leadership as collective consensus mm. is subverted by material interest. That is what we are witnessing in the African continent. And that's what you are finding in many parts of the world. Because the world today is basically sort of unsettled. You actually feel there's turmoil going around. The African situation is exacerbated by the fact that many of the governments, especially in Southern Africa, that are in power, it's government led by liberation movements. Liberation movements who fought for freedom, mm. who liberated the people. And now what happens is that the leadership, the leadership elite in the liberation movement, once in government, actually turn against the very same people they liberated. Well, let me move that point to our other guests on the line, Professor Condra. We're now joined by Dr. Veristo Beniera, who is joining us from the Department of Politics from the University of South Africa. Uh, Dr. Beniera, thank you for giving us your time. Uh, in terms of your thoughts and uh, your ideas of why we do have this consistent uh, uh, trend whereby uh, uh, we see... Uh, leaders uh, really reluctant on exiting their positions of power and as was uh, rightly highlighted by Professor Akondlo highlighting that it's not only an African dynamic but uh, could be also alluded uh, alluded to in other regions. Uh, Your thoughts on on, on this issue of leadership, especially political leadership on the African continent? Thank you very much uh, to you and the listeners and my apologies for coming in late. I was having a few connectivity issues. Let me a bit on the African continent. The the management of succession politics in Africa is very problematic. There are three or four groups or three or four mechanisms Hmm. by which politics is managed in terms of succession in Africa. Number one, there is the management of politics through the National Liberation Movement. Where political power is contested in that realm, and then uh, it passes from one comrade to another comrade using the seniority that existed, maybe through the anti-colonial uh, or the 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 independence wars. We see that in ZANU PF, we see that in Frelimo, we see that in MPLA in Angola, and then in North Africa, where especially in the former French colonies, where there are no liberation movements to talk about, we see there is a, a, the, the upsurge of revolutions and the dwindling of the popula- uh, sorry, of the, of the 
of the popularity of the political party. Mm. You go to a country like Togo, Kenya Rupia talks about what he calls um, what he calls um, am I my brother's keeper. Where in Togo, political power moves within one family for 38 years. Mm. And then you go to other countries where we are now seeing a new phenomenon where political power is passed on from the father to the son. We saw that in the Gabon. Mm. We saw that in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And then another phenomenon is emerging in Southern Africa where the former first ladies or the, the wives or the spouses of former presidents or sitting presidents are beginning to agitate to also want to rule. The former president, um, Michael Sata's wife in Zambia, actually lost to Edgar Lungu. We have Dr. Grace Mugabe in Zimbabwe also wanting to ascend to political power. And mm. here in South Africa, we also have Dr. Nkosana, uh, Nkosazana Kiamini Zuma also wanting to rule the country. And all these point to one problematic, that of not having a very clear and popularly agreed upon way of managing succession politics in Africa. Well, let me come bring that back to you, uh, Professor Kondlo, in terms of that very much interesting viewpoints that were highlighted there by um, uh, Dr. Veristo Benyera. Uh, the fact that sometimes we seeing the trends in the African continent when it comes to leadership with uh, the issue of family dynasties. We know we saw this dominating as well in Angola uh, when uh, uh, the president of the country, uh, Jose Eduardo dos Santos, uh, his son and his daughters were very much uh, heading uh, major, very pivotal positions in the country. For example, the daughter Isabel uh, had a, a position heading a state-run oil company and uh, I know that she was recently removed from that position, but we're starting to see that uh, type of control even within state entities being the main key uh, focus for most leaders. We saw that with uh, Jacob Zuma in South Africa, especially linking his son uh, to uh, the Gupta families. We saw the same trend in South Africa as well. Yeah, I in fact... Uh I think from UNESA is, is absolutely is that correct. The issue of succession is a very big problem, and it seems to be a big problem in the entire African continent. But in my view, I think this talks to other high-level issues, high-level issues, and, 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 and I call them syndromes of dysfunctionality. Uh, in democracies in the African continent. Could you elaborate on that term, what you mean by that? Syndromes of of dysfunctionality stem from two, from three points. The first one is actually the organization and strength of civil society and society at large. Number two is the issue of institutions, state institutions the strength of these institutions in the African continent, the robustness of these institutions in the African continent. And thirdly, is the issue of conscience and consciousness at the level of leadership. You see, leaders who have, who have conscience and consciousness 
and are connected and understand the will of the people. That leadership should actually be an expression of collective will in society. You see, such leaders are actually very sensitive about their term, the length of their term in office. Mm. Very good example, Julius Nyerere mm. in Tanzania. A very good example, Nelson Mandela here in South Africa. But I'm trying to say those three points actually constitute syndromes of dysfunctionality you find in many African states. But of course, there is a connecting thread which actually connects the three areas I've pointed out. The issue about accumulation of wealth mm. and resources. Well, we're now joined by Dr. Martin Rupia to bring his contribution to this uh, uh, conversation, joining us from the Institute of African Renaissance. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Arupia, speaking about African leadership, especially uh, the reluctance for African leaders, the trend we have been seeing over a few decades on the African continent post the colonial era, where there is this uh, resistance to be dethroned or removed from power. And what I'm summing up from uh, Professor Kondlo and uh, Dr. Benyere, as we started the conversation, Dr. Rupia, is that there seems to be uh, this materialism culture that is uh, actually the root of the problem within uh, political leadership on the African uh, continent. It seems like there is that uh, lack of uh, uh, understanding that uh, we should look beyond uh, an era of materialism and self-gain and self-worth within politics. And it's seems like the style of leadership has been based on that basis on how much can I actually uh, uh, get from uh, uh, my own uh, uh, leadership period. Thank you for inviting us and I agree with my colleagues the sentiments that are pressing. And perhaps to make a contribution, let me summarize what I believe are three key points that are facing the you know consolidation of democratization and Africa moving forward and joining other prosperous continents on the globe. So first, I think we still have the challenge of the African state. The African state continues to be fragile, continues to be uh, uh, not structured to respond to its own you know peoples, uh, and, and and that is the first I think challenge. Um, we, we still have, you know, the Egypts of this world, Algeria, the Self Liberation uh, Movement. They, they, they cannot get beyond the, uh, uh, you know, fighting colonialism or creating uh, um, functioning state. The second is, of course, yes, I agree with my, you know, colleagues on, on leadership. Africa has a leadership that uh, sometimes continues to be rooted uh, in the past. We need a leadership that responds to the contemporary challenges, to a modern economy going forward. And, and, and you know, what we have seen in China, for example, I think is a model that uh, African leaders must uh, begin to, to take note. Uh, they, they have this you know, democratic centralism that they practice. Every 10 years, there's a leadership renewal, and, and they really provide uh, uh, a sense uh, you know, of creating political, social, economic, mm. and security environment for their own people. The last point is, of course, not to dismiss the interests of external actors. Mm. 
uh, that residual element, sure. you know, either from French, uh, you know, from the United States, from China, and elsewhere, that continue to be part of the matches in which we find ourselves going forward. Well, I need to get your final sentiments, uh, Professor Kondlo, because I know we have to let you go, but we'll stay uh, with Dr. Benyera and uh, Dr. Arupia. In terms of uh, the succession issue that we're talking about, because that's where it leaves us ordinary uh, citizens on the African continent wanting, the fact that uh, there's no real um, transparent uh, succession uh, debate that's happening. I mean, in South Africa, we are seeing it through a the robust democratic processes that we have here, even within political parties themselves. But do you think that there should be more that's done to create a more openness when it comes to the succession dialogue? Yes, I think a succession dialogue is is a very important one. Uh, But I think even, even the dialogue itself, where things need to start, is the restoration of internal party democracy. Mm. You see, because in many of these states we have got party political systems and many of these parties, especially in the case of Southern Africa, you find that internal party democracy has been seriously eroded. Look at the case of the ZANU-PF and especially if you look at the period from, from 1999 onwards, we've seen intolerance of internal dissent within the ZANU-PF. You're also finding that within the ANC. You're also finding that within SWAPO. You're also finding that in Angola, you see, uh, with, with the ruling party there. So I think the political culture within political parties, and especially political parties that are governing parties, there needs to be a serious change of political culture. But at the level of leadership, of the state. But of course, I must not forget to mention the fact that also the issue of the state and the party mm. relationship mm. Yeah, in the African continent, it, 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 it's an area which needs improvement. But at the, at, at the level of leadership, uh, of course, invoking some notions of, 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 the, of the decoloniality scholarship that you find going around, mm. one, of the, one of the greatest challenges we still have is how we how we actually change how our relationship to power. I'm talking here about once I'm in power, how do I transform my understanding sure. and, and, and use of power? So, that's, so that power becomes more about negotiated relationships and influence mm. rather, rather than the use of coercion, manipulation, and force. So basically I'm trying to say as as the African continent we still have some journey to travel. But of course I return to the point I made earlier on that look, some of these issues are not particularly African uh, phenomena. You you find them in many parts of the world. Hence I invoked the notion about failing politics in in, in, in the modern political economy. 
Well, thank you, uh, Professor Kondlo, for giving us your time. That's Professor uh, Kwandiwe Kondlo, who is a lecturer of politics and international relations at the University of Johannesburg. We also have on the line Dr. Veristo Benyera, and uh, we also have uh, uh, Dr. Martin Rupia. And uh, we'll wrap up the conversation after this uh, quick break. It's 11.30 Central African time. Remember, we want to hear your thoughts. At African Dialogue is our Twitter handle, at Channel Africa One. Uh, give us your thoughts on that particular uh, Facebook, I mean Twitter uh, platform and remember you're also on Facebook where you can find us uh, we have a Channel Africa page where we're on it's 11.30, let's take a quick one and then we'll uh, get our final part of the conversation with our other guests This is Channel Africa South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave internet and satellite from an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalun Yenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, today we're looking at the growing trend that's not even just growing now. It's almost like a, a trend that we've seen consistent in uh, uh, the past uh, 50 years on the African continent where African leaders are very reluctant on uh, their positions of power, uh, especially when it comes to exiting uh, those positions. And we're seeing lately with the Zimbabwean context where uh, the two days before we thought Robert Mugabe would actually resign on the uh, television and uh, we just saw a man who was consistently uh, been maintaining this idea that he is the future of Zimbabwe despite the fact that he's 92 years old we saw a man who saw himself at the center of the future of Zimbabwe well Dr. Evaristo Benyera still joins us uh, from the University of South Africa and also we've got Dr. Martin uh, Rupia also uh, joining us uh, from the Institute of African Renaissance, which is also a part of the University of South Africa. I'm interested in this view, Dr. Rupia, uh, the the contrast and also the conflict between these two dynamics of the succession debate, which is not really exploited and spoken about when it comes to African leadership versus uh, the extension of presidential uh, terms. Those two sometimes clash onto each other on the African continent well one thing that we can acknowledge is that uh, there is a growing debate and growing acknowledgement of the sensitivity of African leaders departing from power at the African Union so for the first time uh, uh, very late this year they put on the agenda a discussion around changing the Constitution and extending one term, either to a third term, fourth term, or whatever. So I think that is progress. The second point that they also put, which come into uh, action, you know, from 2018, is the whole question of corruption. So mm. it is very much linked with um, uh, presidents refusing to leave office, whether or not they've amassed and they are not sure that uh, the new uh, government succeeding them will go after them or not, 
is, you know, is a moot question. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think the debate around extending the constitution that we have seen in Rwanda, we have seen in Congo Brazzaville, we have seen, uh, um, you know, in Gabon and, uh, you know, other places, is an important issue that reflects the almost stalemate of political succession on the continent. But now we are now part of that debate. The African Union is seized on, on the negative nature of extending, uh, you know, one's power. And, and in West Africa, we saw they were again going to put the issue on the table. Mm. And two countries moved to remove the issue, Burkina Faso and Togo. And we now can see the problems, you know, of former Kampaure and also Eadema in Togo, where that these were self-interested leaders unconcerned with creating sustainable political succession as we go forward. Well, what are your thoughts uh, there, uh, Dr. Benyera, these contradictions and uh, clashes between uh, the extension of um, terms and also the fact that uh, uh, the succession debate is not really explored? Because the main issue there that I see is the fact that because we don't see these succession debates being more explored on the African continent, that's why we find ourselves at positions where we are more instigating issues of uh, uh, extension of terms. Thank you very much for that question. And incidentally, I was with Professor Martin Rupia sometime this year in Moscow, Russia. Oh, and great. We were, yeah, and we were discussing this very issue. And one of the things that Professor Rupia raised uh, to me is that the problem, especially in former, sorry, the, the problem in French-speaking countries is what we can term coloniality, where their independence was sort of handed over to them but with very tough conditions, which amounted to no independence at all. I remember very well Professor Rupia pointed to me four issues that the then independent West African French-speaking countries were not allowed to have control over. These were the, the currency, the military, the natural resources, and their military alliances. These remained in the hands of the French colony, even if the countries were said to be independent. This is a phenomenon which we term coloniality. Stated differently, coloniality is the persistence of the, uh, of the colonial matrix of power mm-hmm. even in the official absence of colonialism. So colonial administration is mm-hmm. ended, but you see that power is still tilted sure. in favor of the former colonizers. This is what is shaping the issue of succession in Africa. Because what we are calling African leaders, are they really African leaders? And by extension, is the African problem an African problem? I also remember speaking to Ken Rupia about this issue, and, 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 and he spoke something very interesting to me about the first uh, uh, Ivorian president, President Yufuet Boni, that he was at one point ruling Ivory Coast from France. This actually shows the extent of the problem, that the people that we are blaming for holding on to power appears to me that they are not their own masters and that they are not answerable to the people that elected them, but that they are answerable elsewhere. Well, I'm interested in just extending that conversation as well, especially when it comes to the issue of outside forces, especially with what happened with uh, uh, Zimbabwe. Now we saw the idea of... uh, 
a new dynamic coming into the Zimbabwe conversation whereby we heard of Emerson Nangangwa having conversations with the likes of Britain, with the likes of outside external forces, which usually uh, the likes of Robert Mugabe would not even entertain in terms of having conversations with the likes of uh, Britain itself. How much of um, uh, Western powers play a role, especially when it comes to the investment factor and the business uh, uh, issue, whereby economies are reliant very much on, on Western forces? How much does that play on the politics of our times, Dr. Benyera? Um, no country can survive with, um, without foreign investment and without foreign allies. And when you are going to embark on a project like this, it is only practical for you to go and sensitize your allies or those people that you feel will partner you in your new dispensation as a leader or whatever position. This is the reason why it is rumored that former Vice President Emerson Munangagwa went to China, that he went to the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. so that he would prime them about what was about to happen in Zimbabwe. But most importantly, there is this view that what is happening in Zimbabwe must not at any cost be viewed as a military coup. Because the moment that the actions of the command element of the Zimbabwe Defense Forces is perceived or is seen to be a military coup, then it changes the script altogether. Mm. Because whoever then comes into power would then be deemed to have come into power through unconstitutional changes of government. And then that attracts sanctions from SADC, that attracts sanctions from the African Union and also from the United Nations and other key players Mm. such as those that are sitting as permanent members of the United Nations Security Council. Mm. So the the visit by elements of the command structure of the Zimbabwe National Army to China must be seen as courting a key ally who also is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council so that should Zimbabwe happen to be on the agenda of the Security Council at least there is somebody who is sympathetic to development in Harare. This mm. is how I would frame this uh, this whole development. Well, as we're about to wrap it up, Dr. Arupi, I want to come to you, especially while we're on that issue of leadership when it comes to outside and external forces. You can never speak about uh, leadership on the African if you also do not look at the economic uh, groupings on the African continent. For example, what we saw with the removal of Yaya we saw ECOWAS actually intervening in a military-style way, and uh, we saw them actually making a difference in that regard in removing uh, Yaya Yame's stronghold of uh, the Gambia. But in Zambia, in Zimbabwe rather, we saw a different dynamic here where almost we saw the citizens saying, wait a bit, before SADC comes here, we're actually reluctant on them coming here and speaking on their own terms because we insist that they will be actually playing into the uh, uh, Robert Mugabe narrative that we want to resist this time around. How important are these uh, uh, groupings, regional groupings in terms of the leadership style of the African continent? Before I respond to you, I wish to thank uh, uh, Dr. Vignera on the conversations that he shares with us, which we had in Moscow recently. It simply reflects that academics are concerned about Mm, mm. the issues that uh, 
confront the African continent and we try and share and develop you know, thinking around that. Mm-hmm. But to come back to your question, the first point is that we live in a globalized economy. It may be unfair to particular regions or it may be it would offer opportunities you know, in terms of other regions, but I think the bottom line is to recognize that the, our country's economies exist in a globalized economy. That is the first point. Mm. The second is, of course, the structures of the subdivisions, uh, certainly for the African Union in terms of the, the RECs, they call them the regional economic uh, security and uh, you know, structures, both in East Africa, Central, Southern, and North Africa. Now, the structuring of these communities is a number of tasking that they are expected to execute, not only political integration, uh, uh, but also economic integration among others, uh, as well as security. So in terms of the economics, Zimbabwe's crisis has created a sense of regression for SADC. And I'm sure it is one of the points on the agenda mm. in Angola as we speak sure. for the subject leaders to indicate that uh, we have just over 300 million people in Sadek. How do we encourage growth when one of the landlocked countries in which road and rail infrastructure, uh, you know, to the DR Congo, to Zambia, Tanzania, etc., passes through? So, so you have uh, uh, you know, a country that is in crisis. Uh, for now, we have picked up evidence that uh, trucks and other movements you know, of goods and services are going through without hindrance. But it is important to note that where you have political you know, instability, mm-hmm. it has some regional and even continental as well as international you know, ramifications. Uh, and that is where we, we are seeking to encourage a leadership as academics that is sensitive to, to those dynamics, but at the end of the day seeks to connect development and prosperity with the interest and destiny of their own peoples. Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. I think that's a good way to give it a a bit of a breathing point. And I'm sure that we'll be looking at what's happening with the latest trends on the African continent. But uh, very, very beautiful narratives that are coming from uh, both uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Rupia and uh, Dr. Benyera. Not beautiful in terms of the fact that they actually show a good picture, but they show an understanding of uh, the precarious situation that we find ourselves in and our knowledge in terms of where we still need to go and what we still have to achieve on the African continent. Dr. Evaristo Benyera, thank you for your narratives as you highlighted some of your views that you had with Dr. Martin Rupia. It's fantastic that we had you on one show to have a, almost a song and dance uh, with this particular conversation. So we thank you both for giving us your time. It can only be a pleasure. Thank you. 
Well, that's how we wrap up this conversation, a very complex one, one that uh, is one that we still need to uh, look at and unlock and look at it from different views, definitely, indeed. And uh, we were actually hoping to have the Mo Ibrahim uh, uh, Foundation in our program today, but we'll see if we can get them on one of our other programs and see what that index that was released this week is talking about when it comes to African governance. We just couldn't get through Ethiopia today. 